welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform supporting ecosystems and empowering entrepreneurs across the country. I'm Jackie Dietrich, and we created this podcast to highlight the stories of community leaders who are working every day to break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Today, I will be speaking with Alan Woods, co-founder and executive director of Mortar in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Alan. Hey, thank you for having me. It's really great to speak with you. On a personal side for me, you and your co-founders, Derek and William at Mortar, have been really transformational and influence in my life, in my profession. And I think we first met in 2017, and I've followed your work firsthand. So I'm especially excited to bring this conversation to our listeners today. Yeah, it's been a long time, and I'm, I'm glad that we get to have this conversation. Will you start by telling us about Mortar and the work that you're you're doing right now? Absolutely. Um, so Mortar is an organization that is designed to make entrepreneurship more accessible um, and more equitable. What we look to solve is the challenges that entrepreneurs of color typically have. Um, when trying to get started, and oftentimes it's in their own neighborhoods. So um, potentially if they live in a neighborhood that is going through some changes or revitalization or gentrification, uh, and they often want to be a part of that process of growth in the neighborhood, but typically don't have um, that support system from the developers or they don't have the network to kind of connect them into those spaces, so what we're doing is connecting with these entrepreneurs and uh, assisting them and kind of building up their inherent talents, gifts, and abilities uh, to make sure that they have what they need to continue moving forward, whether they're starting their business or scaling it. We just want to make sure that they're equipped in the way that they need to be. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as uh, like an entrepreneurial version of personal trainers where People will come in and uh, as long as they're willing to put the work in, we can give them the guidance that they need to get to see the results that they want to see. Mortar's roots are in Cincinnati. What are the yeah. primary challenges that you set out to solve in the community by founding Mortar, um, the three of you co-founding this? And how has that changed over the last seven years uh, that you've been doing this? Put a, give us a little context around Cincinnati and then, uh -huh. and then your expansion into other communities. What, what communities are those and, and how do those compare to what you're doing in Cincinnati? Absolutely. So when we first started, we weren't even looking to do the entire city of Cincinnati. We were literally looking at our eyes were on one neighborhood, which is called Over the Rhine. Uh, and it's a neighborhood that has its own separate challenges. There was a police-involved shooting about 15 years ago, um, and it really had a significant impact, uh, which led to an uprising in the city. So a lot of the things that we've seen in other cities like Baltimore and Minneapolis and just around the nation in the last five years are things that Cincinnati experienced over a decade ago. And um, what we noticed from that was in the neighborhood where this took place, a lot of the property values significantly dropped after the uprising, uh, which kind of paved the way for people who are financially well off to kind of come in and start to secure some of those properties and 
um, you know, it just started changing. You know, some of the change is for the better, some of it not so much. Um, and you start to see a lot of people being displaced and you start to see um, a lot of different restaurants and, you know, things of that nature pop up. And one of the things that we noticed is that in this particular neighborhood, it was a very diverse neighborhood when you're on the sidewalk. You know, you would see different people of different socioeconomic class, um, you know, ethnicities, gender. But then when you walked into the businesses, it became a monolith. And none of the people who own the businesses um, looked like us. You know, there were two uh, businesses at that time that were black owned on that street. There was a barbershop and there was a fitness uh, place. And, you know, out of probably 20 businesses, you know, and this is a neighborhood that was historically in, an African-American neighborhood. So it was about 90 percent, you know. And so we started to see that shift and we wanted to know what we could do to help give people what they needed to kind of get over that that challenge. Um, so, you know, just meeting people where they were, we set up an office and a pop-up shop in the neighborhood um, that were side by side. Um, and it gave us the ability to start having some conversations that maybe hadn't been had and needed to be had a long time before that. Um, and so we really just got started that way. Uh, and what we recognized is not long after we started in that neighborhood, we started getting calls from other neighborhood organizations that said, hey, you know, the same challenges that they're having, we're experiencing in this neighborhood. So we started expanding around Cincinnati and really looking at what could this look like in other neighborhoods? Um, and we had to learn about those neighborhoods first, you know, and see what if our programming was going to be compatible and make sure that there were going to be people in that neighborhood who actually benefited and needed this. You know, that was the other thing. Uh, and then from there, it ultimately um, continued to snowball where we had people outside of Cincinnati. You know, once you start to get a little bit of attention in the media and, you know, we were featured in uh, Fast Company and NBC Nightly News and uh, a couple other publications. And when those things happen, you know, because as people started to see the significant change in the entrepreneurial climate in Cincinnati, people, you know, came to find out why, you know, why is mortar working? What, what's different here? Uh, and then uh, you get people from other cities who started to recognize that this might be something that could also work in their community. Um, you know, so that that has been really influential for us. And so we have gone from one neighborhood in Cincinnati to now being in seven neighborhoods across Cincinnati, but then also uh, six other cities outside of Cincinnati. So we have created our own curriculum and programming. And so we license that to other communities. So we work in Kansas City, Missouri, and um, also in Akron, Ohio, Covington, Kentucky, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and then we recently added on Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Indianapolis, Indiana, which is my hometown. Um, so it, it feels good to be able to go back home and you know bring all of the things that I've learned uh, back home, but then also in all of these communities, we go there looking to learn from them as well, because there's something that they're doing in Indianapolis 
that isn't happening in Tulsa and something in Tulsa that's not happening in Wisconsin. Um, so we're able to kind of create this network of um, kind of people who are collaborating together and we're affecting change in a larger way because we go to these cities and we listen and then we're able to import those different ideas into the other cities that we're working in as well. So everybody uh, is in this mutually beneficial relationship. I want to get for our listeners to more about your curriculum and, and your fund. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of those pieces that answer that question of why is mortar working? Uh, but yeah. Alan, why this for you? How did how did you get into this? So I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my whole life. You know, I started off as a kid with a camera um, and ultimately started as a photographer and just kind of grew that you know, without much um, knowledge of what it meant to be an entrepreneur or um, what it, even what it meant to be a photographer, to be perfectly honest, you know. So it was really a process of really finding something that I was passionate about and trying to figure out how to monetize it. And honestly, a lot of what we do at Mortar centers around the things that I didn't have um, as I was entering this world of entrepreneurship and the things that I did have. Um, So I had a family support system, you know, that was very um, into supporting and being an ally for the work that I was doing. So um, my parents went and bought me my first used camera. You know, they took me to an art exhibit where I met Gordon Parks, who was like one of the most prolific um, photographers of the generation. You know, he was the first black photographer at Life Magazine and Vogue, and he was a filmmaker and all of these things. And so I started to understand that when you have people who are around you and you have that right network and people who are supporting you and people who invest in you and people who tell you that it is possible, um, that a lot of things can be different. And I know that a lot of the entrepreneurs that come through our program, those are things that have um, been challenges for them and things that they have not experienced. And so we are offering that, you know, to them, like we invest in them with our time, energy, talent, um, and actually with our finances as well. You mentioned our funds. Um, at this point, we have, we just crossed the threshold of $300,000 that we have put directly into the hands of entrepreneurs in our community. Um, and that started from the process of kind of crowdfunding. You know, we reached out to our community and said, hey, we are looking for people to invest in our entrepreneurs and we want to start a fund that gives them the ability to have capital to get started because we are understanding that that's a barrier. So even once they go through our academy for 15 weeks and they learn how to run the business, you still need the capital to get started. And a lot of these participants that come to our program, they don't have a rich uncle or somebody who can you know, invest in their business in that capacity. So we have kind of become the friends and family capital that a lot of our entrepreneurs typically are looking for. One of the things that I learned deeply from your team was that it isn't just about the one program that you have that walks entrepreneurs through how to start a business, right? That it really, it you, you've created this extraordinary platform yeah. for what it looks like to be supported as entrepreneurs. Could you walk us through, I think the curriculum piece is really important for our listeners that mm-hmm. are always looking for what programs really are effective, but I think the answer for what 
what works at with mortar is not just the curriculum, but is the support network that you've created and this um, positive vibe that you have going for what it means to support black and brown entrepreneurs in your city. Can you speak more to, to like the holistic view that you take beyond the yeah. specific about the curriculum, but then yeah. talk to us about all this other work that you do to surround that. Yeah. So where that comes from is really having conversations with people. Um, I think that sometimes as entrepreneurs and as uh, people in the world of nonprofits, a lot of times we create solutions for problems that don't exist uh, because we haven't taken the time to really dig in to see well, what are the challenges you're experiencing. So I think a lot of it has to do with us really trying to listen uh, intently to our participants and figure out what are the challenges that you're having? What would be an ideal scenario for how this is fixed? So what we've actually done is we've identified five different barriers um, to our entrepreneurs and we created a system around them that are solutions to those barriers. So that first barrier, as you mentioned, was the academy, like it's the know-how, like I have this gift, I have this talent, I have this product or service, um, and I'm really good at it, but I don't know how to monetize it. Like, how do I figure that out? So uh, we send people through our 15-week academy. Um, we do actually charge for our academy. It's a little under $300. The total value of the services that they receive is closer to about $4,500. Um, but we have to charge because we want them to have skin in the game. Uh, when we first started, we had some full scholarships where we offered those to people and we're like, oh, it's no charge. And literally everybody we gave a full scholarship to dropped out of the program because they didn't have any, they weren't losing anything. You know, it was like, well, if I don't show up, it's no big deal because I didn't lose anything. Um, and now at this point, we're still hovering around a 90% completion rate um, where when we first started, you know, some of the people that we talked to who were doing similar work around the country said that we need to expect a 25% attrition rate, you know, like for the demographic that we're working with, there's a lot of people who have never completed school or, you know, other programs or just, you know, they're just maybe not, you know, because of the barriers and challenges that come up and, you know, just life happens, they often don't complete. And they were like, yeah, just be ready for 25% of your people to drop from the program. Uh, and so, like I said, we're hovering around 90. Um, and so the next barrier that we saw was that even when you know what to do, sometimes you're not connected to the right people. And so we wanted to build a network. So we created our alumni department, um, because as we started to analyze some of the other um, programs around the country that were doing similar work, we noticed that there were a lot of them that whether they had a nine week program or 10 weeks or 15 or 20 after the program ended, a lot of times there was kind of this cliff effect where you didn't have some other support system to, to kind of help you. Um, and so we wanted to build that network to make sure that we were giving people kind of the guardrails the support, the mentorship, the shoulder to cry on, um, all of those things, you know, because it's really important to have those people in your corner who can advocate for you in that process um, and who can just talk you off the ledge because entrepreneurship can often be a really lonely process. 
Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were taking that into consideration and giving people that support. The next thing is physical space. Um, when we were thinking about, you know, hey, um, people now know what they need to do. They have the network around them. And a lot of the businesses, depending on the type of business, uh, required physical space. You know, some of them didn't. Um, you know, for example, if you're a service like a plumber or something, maybe you don't need physical space because you're going to someone to provide your service. But there were a lot of the businesses that were coming through our organization that did require physical space. So we actually started with pop up shops that gave us the ability to sign a lease, test, give people space to test their ideas out in real time with real customers who were spending real money and get that real feedback um, so that they could figure out how to get to that next level. Um, and so through that process, we have, you know, created another uh, version of that pop-up that's kind of a collaborative store um, that we are still operating right now. And it's called Pause um, because it's designed to give people time to focus on themselves, to take a pause in their day and just kind of stop. So it's for alternative wealth or, or alternative, it's for alternative health um, uh, entrepreneurs who come together. So you have one person who does uh, massage and someone has even some clients that she does sports massage for, for uh, the Cincinnati Reds and Bengals. Um, and then you have someone who does cold pressed juices, someone else that does crystals and, you know, different products along that line. And then you have another entrepreneur that does uh, candles and plants. And so you put all of these people in one space and you kind of create this environment for collaborative economics and they work together. And what we found is that when you put them in this scenario, it gives them that additional back to that network. It gives them that additional support system. They actually opened the store on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2020. And we all know what happened a month later, you know, when the pandemic hit and it was like, uh, OK, stay at home order. Um, if these individuals had been in this space alone, they would not have made it, period. You know, but because it was four of them who could, you know, support each other, trade shifts and work the limited hours, get their uh, e-commerce infrastructure set up um, and, you know, really support each other. They were able to not only survive through the pandemic, but they, they were thriving. Um, and so that's an important part of having physical space. Um, and the next one is the capital, which we mentioned is the Iron Chest Fund, making sure that people have access to resources. And the last piece is uh, we saw a barrier of just not being in the room, you know, so we added advocacy as our most recent pillar um, because sometimes we can get into a room and have a conversation with a funder, a partner, um, the mayor, someone on city council that maybe um, won't make the time to talk to one of our entrepreneurs. But if we're in the room, we can get in the room and advocate for them. And sometimes that means policy, you know, like when we're noticing that it takes too long to go through the permitting process, we get to go in and have these conversations and we can advocate on behalf of our entrepreneurs. So that really gives people that wraparound service that you were describing. So it's not a one-off. Um, our curriculum is amazing. It's culturally competent. It really speaks to the entrepreneurs and finds them where they are. But alone, it's not 
creating that full system. It's I, I like to think of it as, you know, it's it's one superhero. But if you put all of these things together, it's like the Avengers where they're all coming in and kind of bringing their own specialty and providing different things. And it's a it's a level of collaboration that takes our services to a different level. What do you see happening in the neighborhoods after seven years of doing this in Cincinnati and now in the other communities that where Mortar is working or has curriculum working? What's the impact? Can you give us some examples of, of where you're seeing the shift happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that some of the impact is in seeing other people who look like you succeed gives you the perception that that is possible. Um, when you haven't ever seen anybody who looks like you start a company and run it in your neighborhood and hire people from your neighborhood, you might not know that that's even a possibility. But once you see somebody do it, you're like, well, wait, I have an idea too. And I can, I can do something, you know, or, you know, we've had a lot of our entrepreneurs who come to the program who then become mentors for the next group of entrepreneurs or, they have become facilitators. Uh, the majority of our facilitators for our program are actually entrepreneurs who have come through our program. So we're seeing a lot more people understand the value of paying it forward and really understand what it could and should look like when you come together. And I don't mean like community in the sense of a neighborhood, but a community of people who are coming together with common goals and missions. And so... One of the, that's one of the things that we're seeing. The other thing that we're seeing is a different level of people's commitment to advancement. You know, so we have one entrepreneur specifically who started a business. Uh, it was a clothing boutique. And then he was like, you know, this is going pretty well. I think I can do something else. You know, the business next door moved out and he had the idea of doing a coffee shop. So now he has two different businesses that he's operating side by side. We were able to assist uh, with getting capital, which then uh, helped a couple other people decide to come to the table with capital as well, you know, in the form of grants or loans. Um, and then now he's operating two businesses. Um, and at one point, you know, maybe there was a thought that, you know, operating one business is impossible, but now being able to take it to a different level. Um, and speaking of different levels, we have another entrepreneur uh, who started his own brewery. Um, he had been doing home brewing for a long time, came to our, he was in our very first cohort, actually one pitch night, um, and then kind of disappeared for a while. You know, um, then what we learned was he was keeping his head down. He had one of the other breweries because he said, you know, home brewing is cool, but I really want to have a tap room and a full sized brewery. So he started working at another brewery to learn everything that he needed to learn. Then he went to work at a distributor to learn how they are, you know, getting the beer from place to place, you know, and how, what's the canning process look like and all of these things. So then he came back five years later and was like, let's, let's figure out how to make this happen. And we were actually in a conversation with one of the developers that, um, works in one of the neighborhoods we're in called Walnut Hills. And they had this huge project they were working on and they were really just looking for this cornerstone, uh, you know, business to fit in there. And they were like, you know, it'd be really cool. Like if we knew 
uh, about a brewery or something. And we're like, oh, we, we got one for you. Like, don't, don't even worry about that, you know? So we introduced them through that process and they hit it off and, uh, you know, Esoteric Brewing actually opened during the pandemic as well. Um, and they're doing well. And so um, I think that that really goes to show that, you know, that's an example of all of those different things coming together through the academy through the alumni network, that advocacy piece, we put capital in. Um, so that's our, uh, we have one equity investment and that's that one in the, in the brewery. Um, but then, you know, now he's able to have physical space as well. And so I think that when we come together and we have these conversations and we put all of the pieces together, um, it can definitely work. And that's what we're seeing is happening uh, in these different communities around the country is that there's there's a system of collaboration because um, even when we go to the other cities, it has to be with other people. Like we won't just go to a city um, unless there's someone there that is saying, hey, we want to work with you through this process because otherwise you are mimicking systems of colonization where you just show up and say, hey, I'm going to do this thing. You know, it's like, no, we're... We're coming mostly under invite or we meet people and say, hey, would you guys be interested in talking about how we could collaborate? Um, so I think that ultimately that's what we're seeing is changing. And that's the impact that's happening is that people are more open to collaboration and working together to make uh, people's dreams come true. You talk about how in specific neighborhoods like over the Rhine, you've seen real traction with you, you can draw a direct line from the experience of mortar resulting in new businesses being created or yeah. in longevity resilience that you talked about. How would you characterize, mm -hmm. I think, especially when you described that fifth pillar of your work around advocacy and having a seat mm -hmm. at the table, how long did it take for mortar to get there to the table? Yeah. And how would you characterize your relationships with other stakeholders in the community? Like, you know, getting the city leaders on board and the corporations that can fund, help to fund your work. Talk through that. Yeah. Um, we have the benefit of starting with three co-founders that have entirely different backgrounds, you know? So um, that was one of the major pieces Um Having Derek and William as co-founders, they definitely gave us the ability to be in three places at one time um, because there were oftentimes when we weren't all in the same exact meetings, um, but we were all kind of making things happen on different levels. Mine was a lot more grassroots and, you know, I facilitated like the first 10 cohorts that came through. So I was really connected to all of our entrepreneurs. Um, and Derek was talking to a lot of our corporate partners and William was talking to a lot of our like more government and things of that nature. So we, we all were kind of separating, separating to go and kind of bring back, you know, the, the infrastructure. So it took a lot of conversations and a lot of convincing. And I mean, it still is, I mean, there's, there's now, there's still people who um, are waiting for us to prove something to them, you know, and I think that that's going to always be the case. It doesn't matter what level of success you reach. There will always be somebody who says, well, but you didn't do this, you know, or, or I would have did it this way, 
And it's like, but you didn't. So, you know, or, or you still can go do it that way. Um, and, you know, the, so there's, there's always going to be kind of this, this level of people you have to continue to prove wrong. Um, and that keeps us motivated as well. Um, and the fact that there's just always people coming to us. We don't advertise at all. We have not advertised our program probably since about the third cohort, um, because at that point, people who came through the program, the participants, their word of mouth was what was bringing other people in. You know, they were they went and told their family and friends and Facebook and everybody else about their experience and how it assisted them in growing their business. Um, and so we haven't had to do any advertising. Um, and, and that's the same thing, you know, that happened with our city expansions. We didn't, we have not currently, we have not approached anybody to say, hey, can we come to your city? Because people are hearing about us and they're coming to us and saying, we like what you're doing. Can you bring this here? Um, so it, it's a blessing to know that, you know, when you do the work and you have something to show for that people will see it and they want to be a part of it. Um, and there's a lot of things that I, I wish that our city would do differently. But when we're talking to some of these other cities, there, there are still cities that don't have these organizations that are doing similar work to what we're doing. They don't even have them in the city budget. You know, and we've been in the city budget since our third year, you know, consistently. And so, you know, when you're having those conversations and you're letting people know, like, this should be possible for your city to find the capital to invest in this if they really care about, you know, supporting women-owned businesses and Black-owned businesses and brown businesses. Like, how, you know, how do we have those conversations with people to get them to start um, advocating for themselves as well um, and knowing what they should be you know, having in those conversations so or what they should be saying in those conversations to, to help them to get what they need to help entrepreneurs. I think that fact that folks come to you looking for information um, about how to do this is such a testament to your yeah. work and the dedication. I mean, you guys have worked really hard to make all this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's one thing? And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's gotten to be any less work. It's it's like we keep adding more people to the team and it it's 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 often because we're like oh we need more capacity. You know, so we add people to the team, but when you add people to the team and they're kicking butt, it's like you start doing more because you're recognizing oh this thing is still growing. Um and there's so many times where we're like we need to take a season where we don't have any cohorts, where we can just go through and just like recreate some things and reprocess. But this train is moving and it's it's really almost impossible to stop a moving train. Um, and, you know, it's kind of growing on its own and it's growing organically. So we're not even pushing for the growth, but the growth is happening. And so we do want to kind of strike while the iron's hot, you know, and so there's a lot of times where we're like exhausted, but we are motivated um, by the passion and by the mission of, you know, assisting more people because we know that there's other people who need what we have. What What's your answer to the question when people ask what's next for Mortar? More. 
<laughs> more cities, more infrastructure, more advocacy, um, more legislation, um, more impact in communities, more businesses with the resources that they need where they don't have to scrape and scratch to get it. Um, more physical locations. You know, I, I would love to get to a point where we're having real conversations about ownership and real estate, um, you know, and how do we start to buy back some of the communities that we have lived in and worked in, but have no ownership in? Um, and, and how do we duplicate some of the things that we're seeing in cities like Tulsa? You know, when we think about, um, you know, we're at the, the hundred year commemoration of the Black Wall Street massacre, but the thing I like to focus on is what happened in all of the years before and then in the years after. Because one of the things that's not talked about is after 1921, there was a rebuilding period where by 1925, they had actually completely rebuilt Black Wall Street and it was bigger and better than it was before. So there were some other economic things that happen and systems and highways that run through your whole neighborhood that, you know, kind of decimated it again. So they actually had two tragedies. Um, but I, I'm looking at what does ownership look like for mortar and for our entrepreneurs so that we can start to reconfigure some of those things and really start to own uh, parts of our communities. What's the one thing that you wish other economic developers who are interested in supporting black and brown owned businesses in their community, what do you wish they knew about supporting those business owners? Uh, that's my way of saying, what's the one message you'd want to convey to people who want to do this work? Um, to the people who are in the trenches and on the ground doing the work, um, the thing that I wish that they knew is that it's possible um, and it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a lot of nights when you wonder if all of the things that you put in are worth the effort. And that answer is yes. Um, and to those in philanthropy and, uh, you know, the funders and potential partners, um, I would just tell them to trust people uh, and to know that the people who are doing this work and doing it well, we have receipts. You know, you can see the work. It's not a risk. It's not a, you know, let's take a chance. It's, okay, they're doing the work. Let's, you know, fund them and get out of the way. Um, and that's not funding them without accountability, but it's funding them and saying, you know, in what way can we be supportive? How can we connect you to the network? How can we connect you to the capital? What do you need to continue to push this forward and to grow it? And how can we follow you? Versus a lot of times people will come in and attempt to lead um, because they paid, you know, so then they want to now have you try to shift the way that you do the thing um, instead of trusting that, you know, your community and, you know, the work that you're doing. Um, so those those would be the two different audiences that I would speak to. And, and that would be my advice to them. Your words are so rich and you bring so much insight into this conversation. And I think people have so much to learn from your organization and how you've accomplished so much in seven years, which, you know, it's the long game and it's a long haul and you, you yeah. just continue to, I think for me, create inspiration and show new lessons for what community building looks like. So thank you so much for, for sharing all of this with us today. Absolutely. I'm so excited for our listeners to get to learn more about mortar 
your website has a lot of information about the entrepreneurs and the work that you do. That's wearemortar.com. Mm-hmm. Right? How, how else can our listeners follow along with your work? Um, they can follow us everywhere. Um, you know, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Everything is We Are Mortar. Um, just we try to keep it easy. W-E-A-R-E-M-O-R-T-A-R. Um, and then if they want to follow me personally, I am just call me Alan everywhere. Um, and that is A-L-L-E-N. Um, and yeah, so we're, we're always trying to keep the conversation moving always trying to move the needle on the work that we're doing uh, and keep people in the positions that they need to be in to succeed. And if they want to get a t-shirt, they have to become an entrepreneur in the program. Is that still? No, well, we have, so we have some exclusives that are just for those entrepreneurs, but then we have a whole store actually on our website. Um, If you go to the shop on there, we actually do have, things that the general public can buy, but then we do have some exclusive stuff that's just right. for entrepreneurs. Like, I don't even have that shirt. You know, there's there's some stuff I don't even have because I didn't go through the program and, you know, maybe that's unfair, but whatever. Like, I can create the shirt, but I'm like, I didn't go through it, so I can't get that one. But, yeah, but so we, we do have some stuff available. At weareorder.com. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for sharing your work Absolutely. with us today. We really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polnraj. Special thanks to guest David Kenny for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.